you to, now you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open them up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Uh, next week will be sort of the, um, sort of the last week uh, that we're in Mark for a little while. Uh, so next week we'll be in the beginning of chapter 8 and then Pastor David's going to be up here uh, preaching and then after that we're going to start a new summer series that is just titled, like, The Seven. I, I think that's what it's going to be. It's not creative. It's not clever. But uh, it comes from Jesus' letters to the seven churches out of uh, Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. So if you're one of those that likes to read ahead and, uh, and know what we are getting ourselves into, uh, you can uh, look to Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and just read through those letters that Jesus wrote to the uh, the seven churches. But we're going to be in Mark uh, chapter 7 and verses 31, uh, chapter 7 verses 31 through 37. And so let's look at the text and then see what the, the Lord Jesus would have to say to us today. Mark chapter 7 starting in verse 31. This is what uh, Mark writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went to the way, by the way of Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. So he, uh, being Jesus, took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more that he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to look to Christ, not just in these moments, but through all moments. Father, we pray for his work in this church. We pray that the Spirit of God would come upon us now to understand what it is that he is writing to us and what it means for us. Father, we pray for these children coming into VBS this week. We ask that you would be preparing their hearts for the news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that Things like Vacation Bible School can make eternal impacts. And so, Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that there would be children who are impacted for eternity this week. I pray for the workers, those who are giving of their time and talents and their treasures to be a part of what you're doing here, that you would supernaturally give them uh, the, uh, the uh, gracious words of life as they meet with these kids. Pray for the youth as they go out from here, that you would keep them safe. God, that you would give them experiences by which they would be drawn to you and that they would rejoice in the God of their salvation. And so, Father, now in this time, would you be glorified as we look to the goodness of Jesus and how he does all things well. And it's in his name that I ask this. Amen. Well, if you are a student of Greek mythology or if you studied it years ago back in high school, there is 
uh, there's this guy named Midas. And as the story goes, the, uh, the god um, uh, Dionysus, he was the god of wine, the god of fertility, uh, of religious ecstasy, of theater, and of, uh, of culture, came to realize that his mentor, uh, Silenus, had gone missing. And so a band of peasants end up finding this Silenus and, and brought him back to King Midas, who recognized him right away. And King Midas, he took him in and, and he, he, uh, he cleaned him up. He, he gave him out all of his provisions that he needs and, and got him back into shape. And when he brought, him, when he brought uh, Silenus back to Dionysus, uh, Dionysus offered Midas the choice of whatever he wanted. He was sort of like a, a genie in a lamp that whatever you wish, I will give to you. And Midas asked that whatever he would touch would turn to gold. And it's, it's understandable, this request that he would make as a king, because it would increase his economic power, it would increase his wealth, it would increase, uh, increase the, the might of his, his army if he had all this money, which means domination in, in the culture and the surrounding areas. And so Dionysus, uh, he obliged Midas's request, and Midas was overjoyed in this, this new ability, and he, he went and touched a twig and a stone, and immediately they turned into, uh, they turned into gold. They were still in the shapes that they were, but they were uh, 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 all gold. He went home, and he, he touched every rose in his garden, and everything became gold. It didn't take him long, however, to figure out that this wish was really actually a bad idea because even when he wanted to take a bite of food uh, that afternoon, the food immediately turned to gold and he was not able to bite into it and able to get the sustenance that, that he needed. Now, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who wrote The Scarlet Letter, actually wrote a variation of this uh, story and said that, uh, that uh, Midas' daughter came to him because she was upset that he turned the garden into gold. So everything that smelled good, everything that was beautiful was now just a, a monocolor, uh, just a, a sense of, of boringness. And so as Midas was, was going to console her and comfort her, he, he touched her and his daughter, in fact, even turned to gold as well. So this blessing that he thought was going to be so great and make him wealthy actually made him one of the most miserable people in the world. And so this myth is arguably, uh, it turns into a depressing lesson uh, about pride and um, greed. Culturally, it actually has a much more positive connotation. Um, and so, uh, uh, and it doesn't really have anything to do with getting your car fixed. When you say that someone has the Midas touch, it means that everything that they do, they're good at. These are the types of people that, that, that sort of drive you nuts because as hard as you work to do things, like on their first couple of attempts, they're just really, really good at what they do. They call it the Midas touch because figuratively everything that they, they do turns to gold. And as, as much as it seems that these type of people have the, the Midas touch, we know inherently they have limitations. There are boundaries that they can go to. We, we don't necessarily think about those limitations because we're so fixated, uh, fixated on the good things that they can do and we have jealousy that we wish we could do things as good as they do it. But in our text today, we are going to fix our attention on 
the one who truly has the Midas touch. However, not in the way that we typically think about it. We aren't talking about someone that can, that can play every single musical instrument. We're not talking about someone that can play any sport proficiently and be very good at it, along with being someone that can fix any mechanical problem and can grill an amazing steak. We're talking about someone who can mend the broken heart. We're talking about someone who can reconcile the most broken relationship, the one who can heal the sick with a word, the one who, who can help us dispel our, our guilt and our shame. We're talking about the one who saves us from the wrath of God, the one who cures our sin-sick souls, the one who can even raise the dead. I'm, of course, talking about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the one who has the spiritual Midas touch. When we encounter Jesus and his power and glory and goodness, our lives cannot remain the same. This Jesus is the one that Mark points us to throughout this gospel and after everything that we've read and about and the miracles and the power and compassion, Mark is building this case for us to see the central truth of Jesus, that he does everything well. And in order to see that, however, we must lay the groundwork of what is happening in this little, this little vignette, this little scenario that, that Mark gives us. We must grasp the good, the bad, and the ugly of our heart's condition. Second, we must focus our vision on what Jesus is doing in the present as well as the future. And third, we're going we're gonna to need to see him as the good and sovereign sustainer and giver of all good things. So let's break that up a little bit. First, we need to uh, assess the quality of our spiritual senses. Assess the quality of your spiritual senses. You know, from time to time, it, it's good to, uh, to get an assessment of how some of your physical senses are, are working. If you're having trouble with your vision, or if you're having eye pain, or something that's going on, it would be a good thing to go see Dr. Mork over at the First Light Eye Clinic. If you're having sinus problems, so much so that it, uh, that it uh, takes away your ability to, to smell things the way you used to or to taste the things the way that, uh, that uh, it used to, you might want to go see an ENT that would go and, and, and check that out. If you have some sort of neuropathy where your, your fingers and your toes are seemingly tingly all the time and there's not much you can do about it, you may be, get referred to a neurologist to see what is going on. If you were having problems hearing, you might un end up at an audiologist who will do some sort of test to see if indeed that is what's going on. You should see a doctor every year or two. You should get a physical every year. You should abstain from putting Q-tips in your ears or stuffing those earbuds so far right next to your eardrums that it's going to ruin your hearing. Those are things that we should do for preventative care. But more often than not, isn't it true that we end up at these places not for preventative care, but because something is 
is wrong. Something isn't right. We don't really think about the quality of our hearing until we have a tough time hearing someone with a lot of background noise. Going to the eye doctor is not on our radar unless we notice that something is wrong. And the same can be said about our spiritual lives as well. It's easy to have this tendency to see Jesus in one of two ways. The first way is to simply see Jesus as a specialist, you know what it's like when you get sent to a specialist. Something is wrong and it's beyond the, the care or the knowledge or the expertise of your, your doctor. And they send you off to this person who knows more than they do. And, and we can have a tendency to look to Jesus like that. We sort of have these tricks in our hat and, and we have uh, ways to cope with some of the things that we're dealing with. But when things really get out of control, when we can't deal with them anymore, well, well then we're going to go to Jesus. Forget about the preventative care. Only when something's wrong, then let's go to Jesus. On the other hand, some of us look at him only as the primary care provider. He's good in those day-to-day, menial, uh, mundane things of life. But then when something major happens... Well, forget about him. I'm going to go to the things of this world in order to figure out what's wrong, in order to diagnose my issues, in order to help me do what I need to do. We bank on these things. Doctors, we think, are the only things that we can hope in as good as doctors are. Or maybe the shrink is the only one who can help me think rightly and get my life back in order. When times are tough financially... Well, maybe I'll just take some out of my retirement in order to help out a bit. Or, 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 or worse, take out a loan or max out the credit cards. Perhaps the best thing that we can do is take a spiritual checkup. And we can see how this can work out in our lives by looking at this passage. Jesus had been in Tyre. Last week we talked about his uh, encounter in Tyre with the Pharisees that had come all the way up from Jerusalem. And he makes sort of this this horseshoe pattern, and he goes north up to uh, Sidon, and then he comes east, and then back down into the the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, camps there back into a Gentile region called the, the Decapolis. His fame had preceded him in that people are bringing him the sick, those who need healing, and they bring this deaf guy who also carried a speech impediment with them. And oftentimes, this goes sort of hand in hand. And we don't know whether or not this person was deaf from birth or if this was some sort of uh, degenerative thing that happened over time. We don't know that, but we know that his friends bring him to Jesus. And so this is our friend whom we love, who cannot hear and who cannot talk. And then in verse 33, it says, He took him away from the crowd in private. It's interesting because Jesus doesn't want to make a spectacle of this. He pulls him out of the crowd, brings him in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking into heaven, he sighed deeply and said, Afafa, that is to be be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak clearly. 
Now, I realize that I am sort of allegorizing here a bit, but I want to see, I want us to see that one of the major points that Mark is trying to tell us in this passage is that physical deafness is not the only kind of deafness. There is a deafness that is far more serious, and that is a spiritual deafness. Whereas physical deafness will, will impede on the quality of life that we have in the here and now, spiritual deafness will impede eternal life. And what I mean by spiritual deafness is an unwillingness to listen to the things of God. It is a rejection of the things that you know to be true in God's word, or maybe you don't believe that they're true and you reject them outright. You're not listening. You don't have the ability to listen yet. Or perhaps it, uh, you, you know the word of God and you show no regard for it. You hear it, but you're not listening. And so it's just sort of noise like the rest of the things that you go through. Perhaps you've heard it at church in theory or maybe a devotional, but it, it, it isn't sticking and something isn't right. And the thing is that Mark's text here is pointing us to the fact that, I know this isn't a word, but you can't, you can't undeaf yourself. You can't make yourself hear spiritually. You can't read the Bible enough until it happens. You can't pray it into being. Only Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can open your deaf ears to hear the truths of his word and his gospel of God's grace. Only he can open, open us up to be attentive to his glories. Only he can Heal our stammering spiritual tongues to speak and praise Jesus rightly. And it's interesting that this passage, uh, Jesus does something rather strange. He puts his fingers in the guy's ear, he spits, and then he grabs his tongue. Now, my wife is a speech therapist, a speech-language pathologist. I have never asked her, but I'm assuming you don't do a lot of sticking fingers in people's ears, spitting, and grabbing tongues. This is not a known practice for speech-language and hearing pathologists. Jesus' actions more closely resemble what a first-century Gentile would expect, would expect from a magician— in the first century, those who were famous or powerful, their saliva was meant to have magical powers attributed to them. Jesus spits. But all he's really doing here is catering to this man's cultural understanding. There's nothing powerful about plugging ears, except compacted wax, but that's a whole other story altogether. There's nothing magical about plugging ears grabbing tongues, and spitting. Rather, the power is in the person. 
And we have to take a spiritual inventory to see how our senses are doing, whether our ears are working or whether our mouths are working, and then go to Jesus. It's only in Him that we can see true change. But adding on to that, there's a second thing that we must see, and that is that we must keep our mind in the present and our eyes on eternity. Keep your mind in the present and your eyes in eternity. You know, in the Christian life, there's a strange anomaly that I've noticed that we all sort of, uh, we all sort of suffer from, uh, especially during difficult times. You know, we have this way of remembering well what God has done in the past. We read the Bible and see the, uh, the, the, the many works that he has done for his people. We can look back in our own lives and see uh, what he has done for us. But for whatever reason, we tend to have a confusion about what he is doing in the right here and right now. We have these hurts. We have these scars. We have these issues that come up and, and, and we tend to lose sight of God's role in the midst of these times. And because we can't see what he is doing today, we totally lose focus on what he is doing today in order for what he's going to do in the future. In this passage, though, Mark takes this, this little story, this incident, and uses it to assure his readers that indeed God was doing something great in their time And he gives us the assurance and a hope of what he is going to do in the future. Look with me again in verse 33. So he took him away from the crowd in private, and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up into heaven, he sighed deeply and said, Afatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, loosened, And he began to speak clearly. You know, to to Mark's original audience, they would have seen that Mark is not simply being uh, the 10 o'clock news reporter. He's not just talking about events that happened. He's not just sharing news. But rather, he is pointing to something that happened in Israel's past. You see, in Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah had been prophesying about the the sin of of, of Israel and their coming judgment, and oftentimes the the Old Testament prophets sort of had a pattern. They would would come and they um, they would preach about the problem, and they would prophesy the punishment, then they would give word of encouragement of God's future deliverance. And he, uh, he starts by assuring the Israelites of their enemy's demise. Uh, look with me in, in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 and 2. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly and, and will rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it and the splendor of Carmel and, and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of of our God. 
So Isaiah here is talking that that change is going to come. Though times are difficult right now, and times may be more difficult in the coming future, it will get better. Things are changing. God will restore the land. But now look what he says in verses 3 through 6. He puts the icing on the cake. Talks about hope for his people's future, his people. Strengthen the weak hands. Steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong and don't fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Get this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf, uh, of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. So do you see here how Mark and Isaiah are connected? Mark is telling them that it is the end of their misery. And the good news is standing right in front of them. He just fulfilled Isaiah chapter 35 by sticking, spitting, and grabbing. He could help his readers to see what God is doing in their midst in helping them deal with their present situation. Now, we in our present confusion and in our current hurts, in our struggles, we can look back now and see this, what Jesus has done for us. Not just to forgive us of our past sins, but to, to make us new And provide for us new mercies every single morning. Because Jesus went to the cross, we can have a different perspective. One that is more hopeful. Understanding that God is indeed at work in your life right now. He is working in those struggles. He is working in those hard times. But isn't it true that if we keep our mind in the present by looking back to the past, we can have sort of this intellectual and perhaps a a faithful way of coping with today. But we often struggle with the purpose of it all. Why did this happen? Why did this person have to get diagnosed with that? Why did I have to lose this person? Why did my marriage have to break down? Why do my kids rebel? Why, why all these purpose questions? Why are these things going on? And it often seems trite and unhelpful in this situation when someone says, well, you know, God's got a purpose behind all of it. He may But in the pain and in the suffering, that may not be the most helpful thing for us to hear. Mark, however, doesn't stop at helping us understand the present. Because this scene helps us understand how how the future helps shape our present. So Jesus is healing this man of of deafness and, and his impediment. And, and he gives a glimpse of what he's going to do in the future. You know, in the book of, of Revelation, the Apostle John is given this vision from Jesus of the days that are to come. 
Some of them that John writes about have already happened. Much of it has not. And so now here in, in Revelation chapter 21, at the end of it, look at, uh, look at what we see here. And when we get done reading it, we need to realize that this is where God is taking us. What you're going through right now is leading up to Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 6. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. In other words, we may not know why certain things happen. But we can be assured that when Jesus stuck his fingers in this guy's ears, spit on the ground, and touched his tongue, he was putting a down payment on the day that there will be no more deafness that there will be no more speech impediment. There will be no more blindness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. No more sin. Can you even imagine what that is like or will be like? It's going to be glorious. And that is where God is taking us. And what this vision does is it helps us have a radical perspective change. One that goes from, what in the world is God doing here? Why is this happening to me? And it, and it shifts to, you know, I'm not sure what God is doing here. But based on what I trust and what I believe in about Jesus... It's going to be more than fine. And all of this mess that I'm going through right now that I'm experiencing is going to be totally worth it when I'm with him in glory. So in our lives, we must keep one foot in the past. We must keep the other foot in the present. But our eyes must be fixed on eternity. It's only in that context that we can make sense of what is going on in our lives today. So thirdly, we must recognize Jesus as the source of all good. After all this transpired, after everything that these people had, had seen, notice their reaction in verse 37. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Is this not to be our reaction every time that we dwell on the goodness and the glory and the grace of Jesus. That everything he does, he does well. Why do we lose sight of this? 
Why is it in our busyness and in our distress and in our, in our distraction do we lose sight of this? Think about all the things that throughout history Jesus has done. Uh, the Bible tells us that all of creation was made through Jesus. In the letter of Jude, he writes that it was Jesus was the one who parted the Red Sea. In the Old Testament, we see his saving acts are attributed to Yahweh in the Old Testament but very much so in the New Testament, we see Jesus as doing those acts. It was Jesus who was born of a virgin. It was Jesus who lived a perfect and sinful life. It was Jesus who performed all of these crazy miracles. It was Jesus who willingly went to the cross to die a torturous death. It was Jesus who was raised from the dead. It was Jesus who established his church to be his hands and feet on the earth. It was Jesus who found us hopeless and helpless, totally bound in sin and struggles and addiction and rebellion and performed the greatest miracle of all. Changing our cold, dead hearts to ones that love him and desire to serve him. He is the one that calms our anxious souls. He repairs our broken hearts. He provides a confidence. He provides a boldness in the darkest of times. This is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is spiritual Midas. He does all things well. But I wonder, do you know it? Do you trust it? Do you believe it? Do you see him as the source of every good thing that you have in your life? Do you see him as working in those trying times? Do you see him as part of those good times? I hope you do, and if you don't, I want to implore you to investigate this. You will see that Jesus does all things well. He is worthy. You know, Midas could turn everything that he touched into gold, yet he lived to regret it. Jesus does all things well, and not once has it been a liability or a mistake. He can save us to the uttermost with a simple word. His accomplished work in the past secures our present and our future. And I want to invite you today to put your life into this spiritual, uh, put your life in the spiritual Midas's hands today by believing him, by trusting him, and giving your all to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we realize today and hopefully all the days how woefully short we fall from you. And Lord, we know that if we have been redeemed by you, that you do all things well. Thank you, Father, for performing the greatest miracle in him 
by changing our hearts. And Father, I pray that if there uh, are people here today that have not yet experienced that, uh, that spiritual Midas of Jesus, that they would give their lives to him today. Lord, that you would change their hearts right now and that they would receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to go from this place to the mission field of this community to love and to serve you knowing that you have the power, you have the authority, and therefore we can go in confidence knowing that your word does not return void. Give us that boldness. Give us that grace today, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.